You notice today's message title, Naughty or Nice, from Romans chapter 12, or excuse me, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Father, help us to understand what the gospel really is. The good news that has come to us through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that our minds will be clear and that they, our hearts, will be excited at the prospect of what you have done in your Son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. Going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Well, that quote, as many of you know, comes from a song about a Yuletide cultural figure arrival. And it also seems to capture the way that most American folk relate to God. They somehow think God's sort of like the jolly old elf himself. They think kind of in this equation, naughty, out, nice, in. If I'm naughty, then good things won't happen. If I'm nice, everything will be okay. Everything will be fine because I've been good. But my friends, I'm here to tell you today, that is bad theology. That is horrible theology. You see, 
you and I are wondering what our scripture reading from Romans has to do with Christmas, the simple answer is everything. Because right in those three verses in Romans that we read, we really can grasp the essence of the gospel and of the good news of what Jesus Christ came to do for sinners like you and me. You see, the message of Christmas is that at last, good news, really, really good news, has at last come. But before we can receive the good news, we need to understand why it's needed. And that's one of the biggest problems in our world today. People still don't understand the gospel. They don't understand why they need something more than what they can give and bring to the table when it comes to relating to God. Well, that's exactly, though, what Paul is trying to do for us in Romans chapter 3. Paul has been leading us up to the passage that we read as our scripture reading. But before that, he's been kind of setting the table of why it has to be this way and just trying to do well or be good enough can never, never work. Just listen to a few things from that portion. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, the, right before our scripture reading. Paul says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already been charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, both groups, he says, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, none understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Then, having given the bad news, he gave us the good news of our text that we're looking at this morning. So, you see, he's basically been demonstrating the guilt of the entire world. 
No matter where you come from, no matter the color of your skin, no matter what possessions you have or don't have, we all are by nature in a pickle. We all are under universal guilt before a holy God, and that is not the place you and I want to be. Often we hear Christians speak of there being two ways to live. You ever heard that? People say, and sometimes you'll even see tracks, little tracks, and they'll say, two ways to live. And of course, you know, what most people think is something like this. They think, well, yeah, okay, if I'm, if I'm good, well, I'll, then I'll be, good things will happen for me and everything will be well. Uh, but if I'm bad, so I, I, I'm going try to try to live good, not live bad. That's what most people think. They think like that. They think of your way, and they think of God's way. You can either try to live your own way and find death, or you can live God's way, do all the right things, say all the right things, and everything will turn out fine. You'll find life. Now that, that sort of sounds right, doesn't it? <laughs> but that's not what the gospel really says. You see, that kind of thinking does not take into account the reality of our spiritual situation. That depiction that I read to you from Romans 9 through 20, chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. There are actually not two ways to live, but three. Three ways to live. Now that sounds strange, doesn't it? You see, there are actually not two, but three ways. Identify them from Scripture We've said, what did we read? Paul said the first, the Jews are under condemnation. They have bad news to deal with. Then he flipped over to the Gentiles and he brought them under condemnation. He's been corralling both groups. And at that point in time, that was basically covering all of the human race saying no matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, you are under condemnation. So one way doesn't work, nor the other way. There's the Jewish way, there's the Gentile way, but there in the coming of Jesus for us, the gospel way. You see, the gospel is revealed by God as a third way to find what we need and what we truly seek. It is found only in Jesus. Not by any other ways. So what's the uh, outline real simple this morning? First, we're going to look at the two wrong ways. A little more detail. And then we're going to look at the third right way. The two wrong ways... 
we've already seen in part. Look at that a little, unpack that a little more, and then look at the third right way. The first two wrong ways. The ways that both Jew and Gentile embraced are both dead in streets. You say, well, but the, the, the Gentiles, Jews were a lot better than the Gentiles. Well, sometimes. <laughs> and at times they were. But those that were still trying to find a righteousness of their own making, of their own doing, whether they were Jew or Gentile, they all were in peril under condemnation. That's what Paul wrote Romans primarily and set the stage in the early passages that we're looking at today in Romans 3 and 4. He's trying to get both groups to realize you both are in hot water and you have no way out. Those two ways, Jew or Gentile, that covers the, the, all the bases. Those two ways are what an ancient church father by the name of Tertullian. He is the one that spoke about the two thieves of the gospel. And he, he, used the, he was using the analogy of the two thieves on either side of Jesus in the middle. And the two thieves on either side. He said in many ways shows us the attempts of the Jews and the attempts of the Gentiles to get there, but failure in both cases. They are thieves of the gospel, of the true gospel. The, both of these end up becoming problematic. So, who are the two thieves? According to Tertullian, their names were moralism and legalism. Moralism and legalism. And you can expect that would be more of the Jewish side. That would be the more respectable side of the ledger. That's on one side. But on the other side, the second way is relativism and hedonism. That matches with the pagans, with the Gentiles, and their ways so often. Relativism and hedonism on the other side. This means that the gospel is opposed ultimately, if you think about it, it's opposed to religion defined as, I'm going to find that for you, our attempts to get to God, our efforts to try to get to God. That's what religion is. The gospel is God had to come to us and bring the solution to us. But religion is our attempts to try to get to God. And also, moralism or legalism on the one side, relativism and hedonism on the other. Religion or irreligion? Obviously, the pagans are irreligious that basically say, I'll live my life any way I want to. I, you know, I'll do it my way. Thank you very much. 
Uh, don't bother me with either case. Both miss the mark. Neither one is going to, Paul is saying, is going to get the job done. Moralism and legalism stresses obedience apart from grace. It says, I obey, therefore I will get accepted. Said another way, if I work hard and I obey biblical principles, God will bless me. If you think that's how you are going to get before and stand before a holy God with what you can dig up and try to present, you and I are, are very, very deluded. Moralism and legalism will not get you to God. You see, most professing Christians wouldn't say that out loud. They wouldn't state that. But it's so often pretty much how we kind of practically live. We sort of think, well, we have this paradigm. If I'm good, then God's going to accept me. No, that's not the gospel. Now, the second thief, the one that we would say would be the Gentile way, the second thief, they are all into what we might call hedonism or relativism, which stresses grace without truth. Stresses grace, but without truth. Its creed is, if God exists, then it's his job to accept everyone. They decide that it's God's job to accept everyone, if he exists. And each individual has to decide what truth for himself or for herself they want to follow or to adhere to. The irreligious person, therefore, could say something like, I don't have to obey anyone but myself. Because essentially they're their own master. They're their own king. Their own lord. They call the shots. They are not beholden to anyone. Now, this is very, I'm being very generalized here in both of these analogies, but I'm trying to, to get you to see that both, both sides fall short of what the righteousness that we need to stand before a holy God. You see, That religion or irreligion are really two sides of the same coin. We tend to think they're you know, way, way apart from one another. Way over here and way over there. No, they're right there. Same coin. Two sides. And they're going to both fail. If that's what you're counting on, doing life your way, on your terms, Defining what you will, making up your own deity, your own God, your own center of everything, whatever that is. Or if you think you can be good enough and just do enough right things and do all the things right, be nice to people, they're going to both fail. The standard of God. You see, the religious person 
rejects Jesus entirely. Excuse me, I'm sorry, but the, <laughs> the irreligious person rejects Jesus entirely. Says, no, I don't believe he's the son of God. I don't believe he rose from the dead. I, I'm going get, to get through this life on my own. The irreligious person rejects Jesus entirely. But the religious person, again, religion defined the way I defined it. it there's a, it's, a, it's a fine word to use uh, talking about uh, having a religious experience or something. But I'm talking about wherein it becomes. What we do becomes the standard of righteousness instead of what God has done. You see, the irreligious person rejects Jesus entirely, but the religious person only uses Jesus as an example, a helper, or a teacher. Have you not run into people that say, oh, I, I believe in, you know, that Jesus is a great moral teacher, uh, I believe, but they don't believe he's the son of God. They don't believe that he died and rose again. You see, the religious person uses Jesus as an example, helper, teacher, but not a savior. That's the crux. They use him for a lot of things, but not the savior they so desperately need. They don't want to have to go into the witness box against themselves and say, I am the man. I am the woman that is sinned against God, and I need a Savior. You see, these are two different ways to do the same thing. Stream, very diverse in where they come from. But ultimately, they lead to the same point. They avoid Jesus as Savior and keep the controls of their life right where they want them. Right here. They ultimately, whether it's religious or irreligious, they ultimately want control of their lives. Jesus came to be the king from the root of Jesse to bring the control to our sinful hearts to bring us into right relationship with God. You see, the other two ways, the other two ways are both centered on what we do. The gospel is all about what he does for us. Both of the other ways fail. And it is our responsibility as followers of Christ, those of us who have trusted in him as our Savior and Lord, it's our responsibility to show people and demonstrate ways how these two errors are opposed to the gospel. We almost have to do a little deconstruction. Deconstruction is a, 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 a pretty uh, broad term the way it's used in our culture today. You don't know what somebody means by that. But, but 
to simply say it's something you've got to tear down, something you've got to, to break down because it's, it's a problem. It's a serious problem. And both of these ways, the religious way or the irreligious way, both will lead to destruction. They both will lead there. Each one on the other side is throwing rocks at each other saying, I'm the one on the right and you're wrong. No, they, you're, both of your ways will fail. The gospel alone can supply the remedy through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to deconstruct religion and relativism. Both. We have to say, no, that won't get you there. No, over here, that won't get you there. Both of the two ways are dead and futile. But there's the third way, the right way. When the demolition work is done on the natural ways that man is thinking, there's the third way of the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, for this discussion, objectively speaking, it's simply the good news of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Christ died according to the scriptures. Christ rose according to the scriptures. Listen again to our text. Here it is in a nutshell. Romans 3, 21 through 24. But now, after saying, Jewish way won't get it, Gentile way won't get it. Religious way won't get it. Non-religious way won't get it. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. Despite that we have sinned, if cause of Jesus, if we believe and trust him, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's not in us, right or left, religious or irreligious. It is in Jesus Christ and him alone that we can be justified. You've heard me many times, and I even said it pretty recently, uh, the famous uh, line by Jack Miller, and where he says, cheer up, you really are worse than you think. That's the truth. That's the truth. But the grace of God, he went on to say, is bigger than you can ever dare imagine. You see, that's grace and truth. And that's what Jesus came to bring, grace and truth. I want you to uh, hear this uh, little, um, uh, I guess it's a poem or whatever um, by Charlie Peacock entitled Kingdom Come, Kingdom Come. 
And it's just perfectly dovetails to this, to what Jack Miller said. He said, it's just like God to make a hero from a sinner. It's just like God to choose the loser, not the winner. It's just like God to tell a story through the weak. To let the gospel speak through the life of a man who will be the first to say, cheer up, church. You're worse than you think. Cheer up, church. You're standing on the brink. Don't despair. Do not fear. Grace is near. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what it's telling you and me today. Not because we obtained it on this side or that side. We found it only in Jesus. And because of that, we don't have to despair. We don't have to fear. Because grace, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, is near. He is here today. He came long ago. He's coming again one day. But he's here this day, today, and near you and me. What's my point in this sermon title? Naughty and nice, naughty or nice. It's just point out. The other ways of describing the first two wrong ways that lead to death. There was a many number of years ago, uh, a Hyundai commercial. It wasn't too long ago, I don't think. <laughs> Although time, time does fly, doesn't it? Um, but this Hyundai commercial shows this person just uh, in this Hyundai um, and... Uh, going down uh, the, um, and I think it has basically a, a, a Santa Claus uh, uh, thing it, it, driving that. And, um, and so it, the car, instead of reindeer, he's, it's a Hyundai that's pulling the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, car um, and uh, the lead cars, all theirs are white, I think, his is red. But the point is, when you get to the end of the commercial, it says, naughty or nice, we don't judge. Naughty or nice, we don't judge. Let me tell you, my friends, God does. God does judge. And apart from either one of the, if we go down either one of these wrong ways, we don't want to face him that way. Either one. But God does. But there's this massive, however. And that's what our text said. However, the completed gift of Christmas and everything that we need is gift wrapped in Jesus. Verse 24. Romans 3. It's 
gift wrap. Everything that you need, I need. The righteousness that we cannot obtain and cannot find either way of the other two ways we can find simply in Jesus Christ, in receiving and believing in him. Listen to these two well-known but so to the point passages that we love. John 3, 16 and John 1, 12. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have life eternal. Jesus himself that's what John said about Jesus and what he could do. Jesus himself, in verse 12 of John's gospel, John, again, talking about what Jesus would accomplish. But to all who did receive him, to those who do believe in him and trust in him, To all who did receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right, the privilege, the authority to become the children of God. Not to be condemned, but to be justified freely by his grace, the rapt gift of our Emmanuel. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you trust him? May it be so. Amen. Father, Lord, within the sound of my voice today, Lord, if there's any that still don't understand the danger on the left or the right, false two ways Lord let them let them know and cling to the truth and the promise and the hope that only comes from the third way of the gospel Father thank you for sending us heaven's best your gift wrapped son for us undeserving and yet giving us now the right to become the children of God Oh, Lord, we praise you, we bless you, we honor you, we adore you. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for our hymn of response. A little town, oh, excuse me, not a little town. <laughs> Go tell it on the mountain. We got a message to proclaim.
having heard the good news of God through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, now receive his good word that we call the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore, those who love Emmanuel. Amen.